Welcome to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. President Donald Trump brags a lot about how the U.S. economy is strong and growing. And in the most basic terms, he's right. The country's still technically in its longest ever period of economic expansion. And for the most part, things look pretty good. But there are also signs of uncertainty caused partially by the president's own volatile trade wars and tariffs on countries all over the world. In this hour, we're going to take a look at the implications of the president's approach on three key sectors of the nation's economy. We're going to talk about the auto industry, of course, which has a lot to do with how the economy is doing here in southeast Michigan. We're going to talk about farming, which is also super important to the state of Michigan, one of our staple uh, pillars of the local economy. And we're going to talk about health care, which is also uh, a big part of the local economy. But we also really want to hear from you this hour. Are you feeling economic strain despite all of the numbers that suggest that the economy is still growing and churning along? Do you work in any of these fields, farming, autos, or healthcare, and notice that the things that the president is doing at the national level are having a real effect on the growth in your sector? Uh, tell us about your experience. Tell us about the day-to-day challenges, or maybe you think everything is going just fine. We really want to hear from you as well. Uh, as always, the number on the phones here is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, uh, and we will work you into the conversation all hour. Give us a call and tell us how the economy looks from your kitchen table from your front door. Uh, and joining us now to open the discussion about this in the sector of farming is Jim Hilker. He's a professor and associate chairperson in the Department of Agriculture, Food, and Resource Economics uh, at, uh, at Michigan State University. Uh, Jim Hilker, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you. Glad to be with you. Yeah. Uh, so let's uh, start with this. This year is particularly risky for farmers here in the Midwest. One of the main reasons is the rain, these unbelievable monsoon-type uh, rainstorms that we've been having. How is that playing out for Michigan farmers? Um, not very well. Um, and Michigan farmers, in, in this particular case, sometimes it's different. It's the same through Ohio, Indiana, Illinois, um, Minnesota, Iowa, where is the main corn and soybean areas. Um, to put it in a little bit of perspective, coming into this year, farm income has been down. Um, so, we're, so we're starting from a not good farm income point going into these these weather um, issues. The corn and soybeans um, were planted later than pretty much any time ever that we can go back. So it had been 1960, mm -hmm. um, and, and it was worse than that. So what does that mean to farmers? If you get it planted late or not get planted at all, um, two things. If you don't get it planted at all, you may have crop insurance, um, which would help somewhat but not give you the, the returns that you normally have. Or if you plant it late, you tend not to have as good a yield as you would um otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so for different commodities, this is going to hit them um, different ways. 
corn prices have gone up sharply since this happened. So some of the loss in yield, if you're lucky enough to have yield, we made up for by price. Um, soybeans, we had such um, a huge amount. And on topic, I think I'll have to come back to the tariffs we'll come back to, but we'll stick mm-hmm. to weather for a second. Um, we'll probably get lower yields, but not a lot higher prices because of the huge carryover and lack of demand um, for our, our soybeans. Dairies are biggest, which of course directly goes to milk, mm-hmm. um, in Michigan. Um, it looks like they'll have to pay more for their corn, which they buy. And on top of that, alfalfa type of hay is really important feed for the dairy industry, and they've really had trouble getting, get, getting it out of the fields. Yeah. Um, when we talk about uh, uh, farming and agriculture and, and how important it is here to the economy here uh, in, in Michigan, um, give us an idea of how big decisions at the national level, for instance, end up affecting the way that, um, that agriculture plays out here in Michigan. And, and give us a, a picture of what has been going on lately. Okay. Agriculture, other than in, in sort of real stress times, pretty much is a market market system. Mm-hmm. Um, there's fairly free trade or has been over the last uh, 10, 15, 20 years in the area of, of agriculture, not every single every single commodity. So when we have lots of it, Prices are down, mm-hmm. and and when we have less of it, prices go up, pretty much like a regular market. In Michigan, um, we ran out of for milk out of processing capacity, so the prices are quite low. There's a new plant being built. As soon as it's built, a big part of that problem will go, um, will go away. So this is fairly normal. But the things and the other thing that happened in corn and soybeans, the country, Michigan along with the country, had the five biggest corn crops and the five biggest soybean crops ever previous to this year. Um, so there's um, you can store those. So there's a lot of surplus, and I think everyone can imagine when there's extra that drives um, drives prices down. So um, in bad times, government policy comes in two ways. One through something people may have heard of, the Farm Bill. That's not the technical name, but it's the name that's been called for 40 years. Um, The part of that 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 is important right now to agriculture is um, revenue insurance, a type of crop insurance, and that is subsidized by the government. Um, Not subsidized like you're going to get rich collecting insurance, but food supply is so important in the country. The decision of Congress over many years is to help subsidize this insurance to help producers over. So that part went pretty well. The farm bill was passed about a year ago, and the farm insurance was um, crop insurance was left intact. Um, so pretty much people were satisfied um, with that. You know, let's see, it's, it's almost over a year ago now. Um, tariffs were put on. Mm-hmm. We put some tariffs on some Chinese commodities. We know whenever you put tariffs on somebody else, they're going to put tariffs on you. And they 
don't put tariffs on light commodities. They put tariffs on how, you know, how can we make China do something we want them to do? China comes back with how can we put something that hurts American products to stop that from doing it to us? Mm-hmm. Um, so ag commodities was one of the biggest ones. We export about 60% of the soybeans to China that China uses, and China imports about 60% of the beans that are exported across, not 60% of the beans in total that are exported. Um, They put huge tariffs on our soybeans. There is alternative supplier, South America, um, and South America's had several good crops, so they've been able to buy most of their soybeans from South America, which depresses the price of our soybeans, at least by the amount of the, of the tariff. And soybean prices, even though it looks like we're not going to get a very good yield, have stayed low. Now, the government has um, given basically some cash payments to soybean farmers last spring, and if things stay bad, will again. Um, but this has really hurt uh, hurt agriculture tremendously. Yeah, yeah. Short run, it's kind of easy. I'm almost more worried about the long run. Um, when you can't get soybeans, or you don't want to get soybeans, remember they placed it on us. <clears throat> um, other countries start enlarging their infrastructure. So I don't think this will only, I think this, I'm sure, will not only have short run effect, but will have very long run effects. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We're talking this hour about the U.S. economy, uh, which continues to grow and provide lots of of dividends for lots of folks. Uh, We're also talking, though, about some of the weaknesses that are starting to show. Some of the things that show economic strain might be just around the corner. And of course, we want to hear from you. How does that look in your world? Are you somebody who is concerned about signs of economic slowdown or strain? Uh, we're talking about three particular sectors of our economy, uh, healthcare, uh, farming, and autos this hour. We're going to talk about signs in each of those sectors that things may be headed for the worst. Uh, again, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us how the economy looks from your chair, from your kitchen table, where you make economic decisions about your family and your future. Are things going pretty well for you, or are they starting to slow down and give you worry about the future. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Megan in Beverly Hills. Megan, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thanks for having me. Sure. Um, I just wanted to also point out um, the education sector Mm -hmm. um, isn't, uh, for teachers at least, it isn't um, a sector that necessarily allows for somebody to have a family, um, to comfortably have a family and pay for child care and all of those things. Um, I was a teacher and I had to leave the profession and I'm very sad about it, but it's either living in a comfortable, um, living a comfortable life, having two children, paying for child care, hmm. all of that on a salary of $35,000. Yeah. Um, so that's just when I heard auto and 
health care and farmers, I wanted to make sure that teachers were included in that. Yeah, no, that's um, a great, uh, you know, that's a great addition, Megan. And, and of course, uh, th- what, what you're talking about there is sort of stagnant wages, which is something that's not only happening in public sectors like education, but is also uh, still going on in, in, in private sectors. Uh, Megan, I, before I let you go, I, I would love to hear what you decided to do instead. You left teaching and, and went where? Megan, are you still there? And um, and it focuses that we give to education-focused nonprofits. So at least I still get to do a little bit of that. So work. you're still in the education sector, just not uh, in in public school teaching. Yeah, not in the classroom. Where I, I quite honestly would prefer to be, but I just I know lots of moms do it, but I just couldn't do it on my salary. Yeah, yeah, Megan, I really appreciate uh, the call uh, and the comments, and and you expanding the conversation. Uh, to what's going on in education as well. Uh, Jim Hilker, I want to turn back to to farming. Um, uh, um, let's talk more about these tariffs uh, on China and what the long-term prospect might be there. If you listen to the president, what he's saying is these tariffs are being levied against countries that are not playing by the rules. These are countries that are doing things either with their currency or with uh, with uh, with their own imports that put us at a disadvantage. Uh, and he would say that that what's happening now is short-term pain that will pay off in the long run because these countries will behave better. Uh, do you believe that's true in the agricultural sector? Uh, sector? Um, no. Um, tariffs, you talk to any trade economist, tariffs generally don't work. Um, we don't have any evidence of them working in the past, um, so you can talk as long as you want, and then you ha- look at the evidence. When it comes to farming, what happens is we didn't really have any problem with China and their ag imports and exports. We had problems with them stealing technology and some high-tech and manufacturing things. Mm-hmm. Um, even if we got those fixed, the long-term damage to agriculture, short- and long-run damage to agriculture, it, it was okay before. Um, at best, it'll go back to where it was. And because when you don't become a reliable supplier, and that's what we're being considered by China, even though they put on the tariffs, um, other people are going to take your place. And food, you know, because that's what agriculture turns into, um, and where we're really concerned, is very what we call inelastic. It doesn't take much more of a supply to really drop prices. Um, and agriculture is also a very uh, a high capital cost type um, type thing. So if you invest lots and lots of stuff in the land and equipment and so forth, and prices drop, you can be losing money, but you have to keep producing in order as long as you, as the old economics, as long as you're covering your fixed cost. You know, the ones you have to pay, right. I mean, your variable cost and some of your fixed cost. Um, so these type of price swings hit um, economic sectors that are high in, in capital, such as farming, probably a little bit more than, than some other sectors. Um, and, and, you know, the decision is generally once a year. It's not something, you, a spigot you can turn on and turn off. Yeah. Uh, so, so is your prediction that these tariffs and the other kinds of trade moves that the president is making are going to are going to do 
sort of long-term damage to the agriculture sector sector uh, or or are these are these things that we could fix uh, by by just removing them um the sooner the tariffs go away the less harm that will be done um as long as the world and china doesn't think they could come back right away um, if they think it could happen again, then they're going to keep uh, producing, trying to get infrastructure in other places. South America's infrastructure is growing like like crazy. Of, you know, on the other hand, the optimistic side is if we could get the whole world economy going, you know, we, we couldn't produce almost enough food. Um, but that's not, you know, that's a really longer, longer term, term type thing. So I see both short term and long term da- damage that I just can't see um, being having a full comeback to um, anytime soon. Okay, uh, Jim Hilker, professor and associate chair in the Department of Agriculture, Food, and Resource Economics at Michigan State University. It was really great to have you here on Detroit today. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for being with us. Good day. All right, up next, we're going to talk about another very important sector here in the state of Michigan, autos. What is going on in the auto sector where President Trump has also inflicted tariffs on some of our trading partners? Is this something that's going to help uh, accelerate the deterioration of the current economic expansion? We especially want to hear from you during that segment. We know how many people work in the auto sector. Give us a call and tell us what you're seeing unfold as these tariffs take hold. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the economy, the national economy, how it continues to kind of churn along in what is the longest period of expansion in the nation's history. But we're also talking about how there are some signs of slowdown and strain and how those signs are playing out at the local level. We're talking about three different sectors this hour. We just had a conversation about agriculture and and farming and the effect of President Donald Trump's tariffs on China uh, with regard to how farming is going. A little later, we're going to talk about health care, which is another very important sector here in Southeast Michigan, and what's going on with uh, the national policies that Trump has embraced, uh, how they're playing out locally. Now we want to talk, though, about probably the single most important economic sector here in Southeast Michigan, the auto industry. Uh, President Trump has said lots of things about how he wants to change the way we deal with our trading partners uh, in the auto sector, and he's done some things uh, to change that policy. How is that playing out? We especially want to hear from you this hour. How is this playing out in your lives? How is this playing out at your kitchen table where you're making these economic decisions about your family and its budget and its future. Are you concerned about some of the things that the president has done? Are you concerned about what the future might hold economically for you in the auto sector? As always, uh, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. 
and we'll try to work you into the conversation. And here to talk more about what is going on in the auto sector is Paul Eisenstein. He is the publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. Paul, welcome back. To great Detroit to be with today. you as always. Yes, always great to see you. Um, so the big indicator, of course, in the auto sector that we look at first is sales. Uh, what are we seeing in terms of auto sales? Are we starting to see some of the strain from the national policies that the president has put into place? We're certainly seeing a strain. And then we can get into the separate issue of what the policies are, are doing. Uh, all year, we have seen things start to slide. Uh, June was actually a little bit stronger than we expected. It was a little bit better, though it was one of those split months where a couple of manufacturers did very well, a couple, a bunch of them did poorly. And in some cases like Ford, they did well in certain areas and not in others. Uh, light trucks continue to be the strength, but even there, we're seeing a decline. So the, the industry is down more than 2% year over year. And we're talking, of course, new car sales. Mm -hmm. uh, what's particularly concerning some people now is we're starting to see an abundance of backlog, you know, cars piling up in factory and dealer lots. And I shouldn't say cars, I should say SUVs and in some cases pickups. We're also seeing more incentive wars going on out there. Now, the manufacturers have been very good, as they said they would be, coming out of the Great Recession in terms of not just tossing money by the by the bucketful. That was one of the things that killed profits and led to bankruptcies, of course, going into the Great Recession. GM and Chrysler, of course, had to declare Chapter 11. But how long they can avoid doing this is a question mark. And what they will do, will they close factories? or curtail production, uh, or will they at some point just try to do something frantic to try to keep production going? Uh, we're already seeing some plant cuts, as you know. Mm -hmm. uh, let's talk about the tariffs uh, themselves. I mean, the, it sounds like the things that you're talking about right now are really just about the industry itself and maybe a cyclical up and down. Uh, the tariffs, though, add a, a different dynamic to that e exactly. entire conversation. Uh, it, it's hard to decide how much of the downturn that we've seen so far, by the way, is purely cyclical and how much of it is due to uh, Trumponomics, if mm -hmm. you will. <laughs> um, in some cases, perhaps a strong economy has helped. What, what's really interesting about the auto industry, before I get into tariffs, is that we are seeing uh, a bifurcation, if you will, of America. Uh, fewer and fewer people can afford to or and are buying new vehicles. Now, in some cases, they have better options. I know people who make a lot of money who are buying certified pre-owned because they say, why should I pay the initial depreciation? Those first two or three years, I can get something that's nearly new with a like-new warranty. So that's driving some people out of the market. Uh, so is the fact that in many cases, people are being hurt. What did I read the other day? 40% of Americans are still having trouble paying the bills despite or the job hiring, in many cases, job hiring for jobs that don't pay anywhere near enough to buy, in some cases, a used car, never mind new. Now, tariffs. Uh, certainly, the tariffs that we saw now lifted to some degree on aluminum and steel have hurt both the industry and consumers. Uh, you know, General Motors and Ford both said they took a billion-dollar hit last year, and it continued into this year before the president rolled it back a bit on Canada and Mexico. Uh, you have a lot of parts that come in from China. 
And those are being hurt, uh, of course, because that means raising prices. New car prices are already at records, mm. and this is not helping. And and then there's also the export point. Uh, we are seeing, in some cases, automotive exports. The Mustang, the best-selling sports car in the world. Well, guess what? It costs a lot more money in China right now, and that's hurting production, which means potential U.S. jobs. Mm. Hmm. And, and the jobs are the things that, of course, we we also, uh, in addition to that that unit count each year, we look at jobs and and how many jobs uh, exist, how many jobs are being created, uh, but then also, uh, and again, we were reminded of this recently, how many jobs are being lost in the auto industry when we see plant closings, mm-hmm. uh, and, and of course, it's always painful when uh, you know an automaker decides. That they don't need workers any any longer. Have you seen anything in that regard that uh, that stands out that that suggests that this is um, you know a particularly difficult period? Yeah, it's it's getting to be a worse period. Uh, now we've seen some positives. Volvo recently opened up a U.S. plant, but mm-hmm. they're also being hurt. Uh, they're not exporting as much as they want because a lot of those exports were supposed to go to China uh, and potentially. New tariffs on European or Japanese and other uh, import autos could be uh, generating, you know, a backlash, which would mean fewer exports in general from the United States. So mm-hmm. we have to do a, a bit of a stay tuned, though certainly we're already seeing an impact uh, on the China trade war. So exports are a problem, as well as the imports pushing up prices. Uh, now, some of the changes that we're seeing that are affecting jobs are uh, systemic. Okay, we saw General Motors close a bunch of plants because they're, they're going to bring down three U.S. assembly plants. I'm sorry, uh, North American plants, two in the U.S., plus two American uh, parts plants. And those are basically because passenger cars, sedans and coupes in particular, aren't selling. Uh, so that's a problem, but we're also seeing them shift money into places like Flint uh, because trucks are selling in many cases and they're boosting production there. Uh, So it's a mixed bag, but the reality is we're likely to continue to see more cutbacks in the auto assembly and auto parts sectors, Mm. especially if this two things happen. One is the slowdown in sales in general. The other is uh, the impact of the Trump Trump trade war. And then, of course, there's also the, the, the shift from cars to trucks. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Call and tell us what signs of economic strain you're witnessing right now in your family and uh, your budget, uh, especially if you work in the auto sector or know somebody who does. Tell us how that looks from inside that sector. Uh, how concerned are you about the economy continuing to grow and your sector continuing to do well? Uh, again, 313 1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or if you go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, we'll try to work you into the conversation. Let's go to Brittany in Detroit. Brittany, welcome to the show. Are you there, Brittany? Brittany, are you there? Yes. Oh, go ahead. Oh, hi. I guess I, like I was telling her before, you know, my husband worked one of the three, and we often talk about how incredible it is that he's been working there several years and still can't even afford to buy some of their costumes. 
he can't afford to buy some of their products. Is that what you're saying, uh, Brittany? Yeah. yeah. Uh, is he someone who was hired in under the, the, the second tier wages? Is that right, Brittany? Sure. He's been for Oops, we seem to be. Yeah. <laughs> Brittany, your your connection is pretty terrible, but uh, I think I I think I get the gist of yeah. what you're talking about. The, I mean, you do have this gap that exists now. Yeah, the the, the gap narrowed pretty much with the most recent uh, the most recent contract. And by the way, one of the big questions we're going to be seeing mm-hmm. we're just uh, weeks away from the UAW going back to negotiate as as you know separate contracts with each of the big three yes uh they're largely the same ultimately when it comes to key issues wages and such but there can be big gaps in terms of productivity and the like that can mean in some cases five or ten dollars an hour in terms of all in labor costs Mm -hmm. from the top to the bottom of the uh, the automakers Uh, So it's going to be a very interesting negotiations. And the UAW has a lot on the line. They failed to organize down at the VW plant. They thought they had that. Uh, They've completely failed to organize any of the import plants. So they're going to be working hard. They've got a a lot of people around the country looking over their shoulders at what they do. Yeah. All right. So back back to the other point. Uh Uh, The reality is, as I I said, prices prices are going up for cars. Depending on who you, whose numbers you quote, uh, Edmonds, uh, Kelly Blue Book, all these people track things, J.D. Power. The average vehicle sold in June costs somewhere around thirty-five dollars to $37,000. That's just unbelievable. That's called average transaction price. That's not the sticker. That's what you pay when you factor in those incentives. Once you've taken and, them down from the sticker, right? And and you, but then you go up from the sticker because you add uh, additional content, you know, uh, accessories and the like. Thirty-five to thirty-seven thousand dollars. Again, that's why a lot of people, first of all, they're stretching out their loans. They're going to leases, and in many many cases, millions of Americans are now going over to these certified pre-owned vehicles. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to be a big year for that. A lot of them are coming back from the peak of the industry. Uh, you know, a few years ago when we hit an all-time record of 17.6 million, 17.6, uh, a lot of those vehicles, lease vehicles, are coming back. They're going to go out as certified pre-owned. So the industry is actually going to undercut itself this year mm. with all these off-lease vehicles. That's going to drive down sales even more. It drives down over the next car few sales, exactly yeah. over the next few months. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have to say that as somebody who uh, you know enjoys cars but um, is not enthusiastic about spending lots of money on them, uh, I am not. I'm not in the market for a new car. I've got to buy a car this fall. Um, I'm not really looking at new cars unless I were to lease. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the idea of buying a car that costs thirty-five to forty thousand dollars—it's just not something I'm willing to do. So again, it comes down to what are more and more people doing? They're leasing, or they are going uh, CPOs, right. certified pre-owned. Get- and and I've got to tell you, I, I unless you really want the absolute latest in safety features and the newest infotainment system and the little bits of extra chrome and a couple of other things uh, that may be in the newest model. In many cases, you are better off at least considering a CPO. There are a lot of people that really don't care about getting the new vehicle, but they don't know that there's there are other options out there. Right, right. Uh, again, thanks very much, Brittany, for the call. Let's go to Jan in Williamsburg, Brooklyn. Jan, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. Thank you for having me on. Sure. Go ahead. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can, I can hear you. Great. 
Uh, I'm a Michigan native. I grew up right outside of Detroit, Allen Park. My grandfather worked for Chrysler Dodge his whole career. I used to sell for Toyota mm-hmm. for a couple of years. And it seems inevitable that the cost of living is so out of control in terms of one's housing. This idea of buying cars at thirty-five grand is it's a joke because anyone who's not on the upper end of middle class and up, no one's buying that car. Yeah, that that's a real issue. Now there there are still are those vehicles at twelve and fifteen thousand uh, dollars. The Koreans in particular mm-hmm. are still down there. Though even even those guys are moving up market. I just had the chance a couple of weeks ago to drive the Hyundai Palisade, which is their new three row SUV, and that's going to push into the forty mid forty thousand wow. dollar range. It's by the way a very nice vehicle. And arguably less expensive than comparable vehicles from Japan or the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are some entry-level vehicles, but people then go, well, what am I getting for that money? Uh, well, you're getting a car that you can drive. Yeah. It, 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 the good part is... It even, doesn't have all the bells and whistles, right? <laughs> yeah. Even the base cars now are starting to have uh, more of the safety features. And of course... The industry has figured out uh, you got to at least put Bluetooth and a few other right. tech features in yeah. for the uh, for the young people who can't afford anything else. Right. But <laughs> if you don't put a USB-C and Bluetooth in there, don't even bother to uh, come to the show. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Jan, uh, thanks for the call and thanks for listening from Brooklyn. Uh, that's a, that's pretty cool. Uh, you must be listening online, which we encourage people to do if you can't get the signal. Um, let's go to Glenn in the Cask Order. Glenn, welcome to Detroit today. Are you there, Glenn? I don't know. I don't. Uh, I don't hear Glenn. All right, uh, Glenn, call us back, uh, and uh, we'll we'll get you into the conversation here. Daniel in Detroit. Daniel, you're next. Thanks for having me on the air again. I seem to have a <clears throat> lot of comments on your topics, and I really enjoy your show. <laughs> Thank you. Um, my uh, my perspective on this is, is we're in this position right now. Because China has been allowed to lobby our government. And until we eliminate the ability to bid for businesses and other countries to lobby our lawmakers, we're going to continue to be in this position. So, so um, D- Daniel, can you expand on that idea just a little bit? I'm not sure I'm following exactly what you're saying. I don't know how saying. it affects well, the auto industry uh, either. Yeah. Well, anytime that, anytime that uh, you know, any of our lawmakers... Um, uh, uh, per uh, put a bill forth that has anything to do with China, China immediately spends millions of dollars against that bill and lobbying all the other people in Congress against that bill. Hmm. So, you know, a lot of the issues that you guys talk about on your show are campaign finance reform issues. Yeah. And, I, I, and I really would encourage you to start having more shows about campaign finance mm. reform because the more that we talk about it, the sooner we'll get there because we have to get there because China is running away with the world. They're building, they're dredging new ports and all these, they're making these alliances with all these companies. They're expanding their shipping lanes. They're expanding their weapon systems. And, and I didn't vote for Trump, but I don't know what else he has to deal with China or how he could deal with China. You know, from my perspective, these tariffs that he's put in place on some of these manufacturing situations, 
Anybody that's manufacturing in China right now, any U.S. company manufacturing in China right now, mm-hmm. any world company, is now looking for new partners in other areas, in friendly nations. So these these tariffs are going to be gone in six months or a year, maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? But after those are gone, the lasting effects are our uh, manufacturing chain is going to be much stronger with much more friendly companies. That's really interesting, Daniel. I, I'm not sure I agree with no, that, I, but that's I, an interesting uh, way to look at it. I do agree about, about campaign finance, and that is actually a subject that we come back to from time to time. I can't remember uh, when the last time was we did like a full show on campaign finance reform. Uh, we've talked about some of the things that have gone on uh, that that sort of uh, get attention from time to time. But you're right. Uh, campaign finance is a huge, huge problem here in the state of Michigan and, and something we ought to be working on. There is no appetite, really, in the legislature for that. But uh, but I appreciate the perspective. Yeah, as as to China's impact on the auto industry, uh, I, I think there there's a good point about the lobbying power of a lot of foreign countries. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, all you have to do is ask the American citizen: Will you stop buying at Walmart and go somewhere else and pay a uh, dollar more for batteries or what have you? And we've been talking, Stephen. We've talked throughout my segment about the cost of vehicles. Well, let's take out some of those Chinese vehicles and some of the Japanese, uh, sorry, the Chinese parts and the Mexican parts and so on. And that $35,000 car becomes a $38,000, $39,000, car if you bring it back to the United States. Mm -hmm. There are some parts, wiring harnesses, certain chrome trim pieces, uh, some electronic pieces. In some cases, there's no manufacturing base here anymore. But even if there were, the cost of producing things here is just so high. Yeah. Uh, the USMCA, the replacement for NAFTA, if it ever does get passed by Congress, which is still uncertain, uh, that's going to drive up some prices because part of it requires higher wages for some components. That'll bring some things back to the United States. But you might see $50, $100, $200, $300 more on top of what's already record automotive prices. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, again, uh, thanks very much, Daniel, for the call and the thoughts. Let's go to Glenn in the cast quarter. Glenn's back with us. Welcome to the show, Glenn. Are you there, Glenn? <laughs> I think there might be something wrong with Glenn's phone. Okay, uh, uh, Glenn, we'll we'll get to you uh, some other time. <laughs> some other time. Uh, Paul Eisenstein, publisher of the DetroitBureau.com. It is always really great to have you here to talk about these issues on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming by. My pleasure. By the way, I will mention real quickly a shameless uh-huh. plug. We just sure. re- completely redesigned our site. Ah, so, so go I check have, that out, DetroitBureau.com. Yeah, right. thanks. All right, thanks for being here. Up next, we're going to talk about what's happening in healthcare here in Michigan with Mark Corvo. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Your 
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking this hour about the economy and how it continues to kind of churn along and grow, even if it's growing at a slow pace. It's still under uh, the longest time of economic expansion in the country's history. At the same time, we start, we're starting to see some uh, evidence of strain, of evidence of slowdown, things that uh, might threaten that growth in the short term or in the long term. We're talking about three different sectors where we are seeing that. We've talked about the agricultural sector, which is very critical to the economy here in Michigan. We talked just now about the auto sector, which is the single most important, likely, uh, economic sector here in the city of Detroit still. Uh, we also now want to talk about another area, healthcare, which is uh, a growing part of not only the Detroit economy and the Michigan economy, but also the national economy. And we want to see whether there are signs there of this slowdown or of effects from national policy embraced by the Trump administration. Joining us to talk more about that is Mark Corvo. He is Vice President of Government Affairs at Henry Ford Health System, also a former state legislator. Mark, welcome back to Detroit today. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Sure. So talk about some of the ways that Michigan's healthcare industry is facing uncertainty from your perspective. Sure. And, and I love our under, um, other industries, rather. You know, agriculture and, and auto are such a big fabric of this state. But Many people, and as you pointed out, uh, don't realize how significant uh, the health sector here is in Michigan. It's actually the largest private sector employer in the state. So, you know, because it's a service, many people don't see that as, as an economic driver, but it's just critically important to what we're doing here in the state. And actually, we've, we've seen a drop in the last year in terms of the, the number of employees in the state is down 10,000. That's, that's not a big number, but um, 602,000 people um, that's 10,000 less than we had in 2016. So we are starting to see some of the facts, especially as it relates to um, the different fronts that healthcare systems are, are facing now, whether they're, they're legal challenges at the federal level, whether the, the legislature is putting forth policies that continue to press down on our revenue streams. Um, and then the, uh, the, the regulatory rules that come out every single year. I mean, every summer, and we're right in the middle of it now, that, that there's new rules going after uh, trying to drive down health care. The problem is, if they're not done smartly, they can have real effect on jobs. So um, we're constantly trying to adjust to that. Um, and one of the things that makes Michigan unique in that regard is that there was a recent RAND study that came out at the beginning of the year is that we um, are at the bottom of the list, number 50, of what our reimbursement rate on commercial products is. Mm -hmm. um, it's only about 150% of Medicare, where some other states are up. Even our neighbors, I think Ohio is up 240%. When you couple that with a low Medicaid reimbursement rate, which is uh, we get 90% of what we, we outlay there in, in Medicare, um, we are really tight here and our margins for our hospitals and healthcare injury is really, really tight. So when you have something going on at the federal level that does trickle its way down and all of a sudden, um, you know, in an economy that is doing well and in our biggest private sector employer in the state, you know, we're losing 10,000 jobs. So we're constantly on defense. I, I think if they, they were more uh, strategic before they were going after some of these costs, whether it be uh, in pharma, and we can talk about pharmaceutical prices if you'd like, but mm -hmm. there's just a lot going on at the federal level. And we, um, you know, when you couple that with recent auto no fault changes, you see just a continuing shrinking down and our ability to, to continue to try to be 
uh, the number one private sector employer in the state. Yeah, and so while you talk about those things as they affect hospitals and other players in the healthcare sector, I think the listeners are sitting there thinking or hearing this and thinking, well, uh, at the consumer end, that's where things seem really uh, desperate almost and, and, and more and more uncertain. Uh, the, the, the rising cost of pharmaceuticals, as you pointed out, is, is something that I think uh, nearly everyone has experienced in one form or another. But, but we've also had this long fight in the state, as you point out, about uh, auto insurance and the high rates that we pay there. How that affects uh, you know people's bottom lines and and medical coverage, of course, is one of the big drivers there. It it, it seems you know um, it seems that it's it's on every end of this sector that people are feeling that strain, and and I'm not sure that consumers have a terrible amount of sympathy for hospitals, which they see no. as like, you know, making lots of money. But as you point out, you know, uh, it's tight on, it's tight on both ends. Well, yeah. And let's bring it to that level because I, I was focusing on the, the economic um, role that hospitals play. Sure. If you want to bring it down to the patient side of things, and I think Henry Ford Hospital is the, the, the gold standard for providing care for those least fortunate. Um, and when we see patients coming into our facilities, um, with uh, conditions that are much too long since they've had attention, uh, have trouble paying their co-pays. They end up in our facilities and they cost us much, much more. And when people are deciding between, you know, what prescriptions to buy and whether they pay their rent or whether they, they pay for their children's school activities, um, we see that every single day. And, you know, we try to absorb a lot of that. And we, our uncompensated care levels are still quite high. Our underpayments are still quite high, mm -hmm. but you know we try to do our very best to try to provide the care, and it's spilling over into all different types of healthcare, whether it's mental health. Um, there's an article this morning again. We get them daily that the number of ER visits that go up um, when people are ill those are those are costly. So there is no doubt that we see it from both ends, and it includes our employees as well. Um, you know we have thirty thousand employees at our system, and we do our very best provide them with resources. Um, you know, the taxpayers here in the state, I think was 18 billion to the state, these uh, healthcare workers are contributing. So um, that's a big number, but at the same time, if they're having trouble making decisions between what they do for their families and themselves and the other parts of their lives versus do they keep themselves happy? That's just a formula that's a death spiral. You know, healthy individuals, young individuals become healthy adults uh, and conversely sick adults become sicker, elderly, and, and then our costs just continue to spiral. Sure, sure. Um, when you talk about this new uh, auto insurance law in, in Michigan, that, that does inject some uncertainty on the hospital side, no question. What, what are you doing to prepare for that and, and to prepare for it in a way that I suppose doesn't then affect consumers you know, in a different way? So we get a break in the uh, auto insurance bill, but then our costs go up uh, on the health insurance side. Well, we could talk a long time on this subject, um, <laughs> and I'm, I'm still unwrapping it. We're, we're getting all, the, when, when bills go through, and there was some thoughtful uh, debate went into this, but when you change a, a law that's been around for 40 years, and it's, which is so integrated with the delivery of healthcare, there are gonna be problems, and I've already identified uh, multiple ones. Um, you know, I, I think the major concern for me individually is that people were demanding pay less uh, and they will get less. Mm -hmm. um, there is no doubt. There was no way um, to, to pull away on the unlimited and give these reductions without 
taking something away from uh, our drivers. Now, what will the real world effect of that be? Um, we'll pick a date here and it'll probably be next year when someone chooses one of these lower threshold uh, um, plans and they end up in our facility and they blow by you know, the, the, their cap on fees. Where does that money go? Um, what happens to this person? So the stories will begin to come out. Now, I would recommend that people still consider very strongly unlimited plans, but you know, those savings are mandated next year. Uh, and then the, the cost cuts to hospitals is the following year. So we do have a couple years to, to try to get some, um, some thoughtful discussion around making sure this is operating at a high level. Um, because of what I told you before, Michigan's at the bottom of our reimbursement rates. So mm. if this is an overstep, th that'll have a very real effect on, on jobs here, especially in Southeast Michigan. And there's some other provisions in there that I think are just dangerous, but uh, we won't go too far into that mm. unless you want to. But, <laughs> you know, we can come back another time if okay. you want to really dig into that. Yeah, yeah. No, we definitely need to have you back to talk more specifically uh, about auto reform, auto insurance reform and how that's going to affect Hospitals. I want to go back to the phones here uh, really quickly. Gary in Dearborn. Gary, welcome to Detroit Today. One of the problems with all this discussion is we're missing the role of what we call rent, fire sector payments, payments for finance like debt, insurance and real estate, and other types of rent like pharmaceutical prices. Uh -huh. And essentially, we're pretending that the real economy is doing extremely well when in essence, so much of that most people pay is being driven by these fire sector types of payments, this type of economic rent and unearned income that classical economists consider to be a great burden on the economy. Hmm. And uh, that's that's my comment. I mean, it's, it's you know, to, to sit here and say that we're doing so well and that we've been doing so well misses the role of rent and yeah. misses the fact that most of us are not actually doing all that well. We're just maybe working harder, getting paid less in order to basically be in a position to... In the same position that we were before, right? Exactly. Yeah. And not making gains like like it had been in the past. I mean, this doesn't even take into account that productivity has been going up for decades, yet it has... The wages, wages have not. have not, yeah. Exactly. Oh, Gary, I really appreciate uh, the call uh, and that perspective. Uh, Mark, I've got about a minute left. I wonder if you want to respond to what Gary's talking about. Yeah, I think maybe the best example in our industry, and I already touched on it uh, briefly, is the pharmaceutical injury. I mean, uh, prices um, have gone up 10.5% in the last year. That's five times yeah. the rent. And whose pay has gone up by that much, right? Well, and, yeah, no one. Yeah. And, you know, those costs get absorbed, they get passed on to the consumer. Um, and, and that's just one example. There are many, many uh, healthcare industries really heavily over, um, maybe not over-regulated, but certainly highly regulated. And, you know, continuing to try to be forced to, to pay prices that uh, at some point either have to be uh, passed on to the consumer or not given. And those aren't good options. We need to yeah. do a better job. Yeah. All right. Mark Corivo, always great to catch up with you here on Detroit Today. Thanks for coming in. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. All right, that's going to do it for me today. I'll be back tomorrow. I hope you will, too. We're going to have a conversation with Desiree Cooper about the challenges and unexpected rewards that come with caring for our elders. You're going to want to tune in to that show for sure. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.